Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Once you've seen it for yourself, and then you know it's real. But you don't have an explanation for it. So now you're out here trying to find out how this can be. Like, how, how's, how, how can they survive? How, how can they be undetected? Um, because you know, you know in your own heart that it's true. Because you've seen it with your eyes. You've put your hand in the prints. You know there's something out here. So you have to get on their terms. In their world. And search for it. And the only way to do it without worrying about human activity is getting out here in remote areas. Then when you hear samurai chatter or you hear something you know it's not a hiker over on the other ridge because you know you're the only one out here for hundreds of miles
I had a wall freaking laurel down there. That's all he wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that? Yeah. All right. Uh, we might need to stage that again. <laughs> no, I just wanted to get back to that kill box. Uh, it's gotta, it's gotta go somewhere, it's gotta go up or down, so there's gotta be a trackway in there somewhere. So if we can pick up on that trackway, either down and up or, or up, either way. Did you hear Eric say the word trackway? It's a word I have never heard in the Bigfoot world. I know the Bigfoot world fairly well. I have a podcast on the subject, and I talk to Bigfoot people all the time. But through the years, I have picked up the language of the Bigfoot culture. The word trackway is never used. So where did it come from? You'll know a lot more by the end of this film. But for now, let me explain it in this way. Wherever you travel, you leave evidence of being there. You leave a trail or a track. It's a bit like the scent you leave when walking. A dog can track it. Every biological creature that moves leaves a trackway. But to follow that trackway, you need to know what to look for. In the Bigfoot researcher world, the idea of tracking one or more Bigfoot has never been done. I think it's not been tried because it's so difficult. These things apparently live in the most secluded and hard-to-get-to places left on our continent. Mostly, people go to campgrounds and they make a few calls and they knock on trees or they leave food out and they hope a Bigfoot will show up so they can snap a picture. There was even a series on TV using most of these methods. They waited for Bigfoot to come to them. Of course, they never saw anything. I think that is the way most Bigfoot TV shows go. And if Bigfoot is as smart as some give him credit, why would he come to a human? It doesn't make sense. This film is not about Bigfoot. There are no groundbreaking videos or images of the creature. These guys have images and the videos and the audio files and the hair samples and the other pieces of evidence you'd think would settle their case. And all of it proves Bigfoot exists. I've seen most of it. This film is about the people who track the creature. And since there are only four people I know who do this, this film is about those men. My interest has never been in Bigfoot. It is the people who look for Bigfoot that fascinate me. So if you're watching this film hoping to see videos or images of Bigfoot, you can swipe on to the next video. But if you want to know what it will take to gather the evidence to prove Bigfoot exists, stick around. You're about to see and hear how it's done. I will introduce you to these men as the film progresses. I am not a Bigfoot researcher or a tracker. I'm just not that interested in the evidence game. But then again, I have never seen a Bigfoot. All four of these men have. 
It seems to provide the drive to do what they do. There really is no other reason they would spend the time and the money that they do if they were not sure they were on to something. I have known these guys for a few years. I heard they had an expedition planned in the Appalachian Mountains, and I asked them if I could tag along and film it. I wasn't sure what I would get on film, but a good week of bushwhacking and hammock camping sounded fun to me, and they all agreed I could go. I bit off more than I could chew. This trip was hard physically. I'm the fat guy in the black jacket heaving for air after a long climb. They had to wait on me a few times, but I don't think they minded. I'll probably never do it again. I'll stick with the walking track at the local high school. But these guys do this all the time, and they love it. Well, I think they're nuts, but in a good way. Not so different than big game hunters in the high altitudes. These Bigfoot trackers probably do more walking than the hunters do, and they never stop moving. This goes on all day long. On this trip, they found tons of evidence that made sense to me. They aren't liars. They all work important jobs all week long. This thing they do is, well, it seems to be an obsession, but you can be the judge of that. But my question has always been, why do they do it? And I got the answer over three freezing days in February of 2019 in a remote area of the southern Appalachian mountain chain. I'll let them explain in their own words. Relax and get to know them like I've done. They have my utmost admiration, and they are the only men I know doing this. And it's trying to collect so much data that it possibly can because you've never seen anything like this right. before. You know, you go, your mind just goes through this processing. You know, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. You know, and it's just, it's going through its data bank. And yeah. mine was, mine was full blown day, daylight. I mean, bam, yeah. there, there he is. You know, and I just, my brain shut down and that's so many people. Well, why didn't you take a picture? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Let, put, get, get in that situation. Three quarters of a head and a partial shoulder. And it kept moving out like it was peeking around the side of the tree looking at us. And uh, it was, it, it really, got everybody's adrenaline going but for some reason in my mind seeing that even though i knew i saw it i did not process it and i knew i had it i always film things i always make videos but it was it just kind of blew my mind and i didn't realize that, hey, you need to document this. So uh, probably six months later, I needed some stock flare footage for uh, when Larry and myself and Shelly and Dan Ricky and Vicki Fulcher went out to LBL and we were getting responses to some calls 
And so on the video, the beast video, I just threw on this stock footage and I put down at the bottom stock footage. And I, I, it's so funny that it didn't register in my mind because I knew what FLIR footage it was, that it was of me actually filming something tree peeking around this tree about 75 feet away from us. And Dan Ricky called me and said, hey, that video you just put out, that, that looks like a booger tree peeking. And then it finally clicked in my head, wait a second, this is, this is from what happened in New Mexico when Brenda took us out. And it's, it's just amazing how when something like that happens, your brain can't even process it. And to the regular Joe that goes out hunting every day and never sees anything, I was that regular Joe that just didn't, you know, there ain't no way. But you come out here at night and you put yourself in situations and in areas that this thing probably inhabits and you're gonna change your mind. It's easy to sit at home and or walk the same little path to your deer stand every day and never go into the woods any further than that and think there's no way because I spend hours a day in the woods and I've never seen anything. It's just a quest that you've got to have a personal fire for. Mine started whenever I was younger. I saw tracks in the snow. I kind of put it in the back of my head, but as I was growing up, I watched all types of shows about Bigfoot and everything. And in the area I live in, I didn't even consider that these creatures may be around there. And then I met other people that had seen them and had encounters. And then I met other people that went out looking for them and I got involved in it. It's been an awesome experience. shoot me like a horse as you're looking at this footage and you see the landscape it looks like a solid walking surface but that is the deception in these mountain woods beneath the eight inch layer of leaves the ground is littered with rocks and stump holes and with each step there's a trap just beneath a man can snap an ankle or a leg easily now look, we all busted our ass at some point on this trip. It was inevitable. 
and a broken leg this far in the woods could be fatal. The men you were with will not be able to carry you out. All they can do is get to a cell phone signal several miles away and call for help. But you would not be taken out on the ground when help arrived. An airlift is the only way they could get a man out of there. And by the time help did arrive, a man would freeze to death because it never got above 25 degrees Fahrenheit on this trip. So with this in mind, I took my time placing each foot where I was sure not to snap a leg. I was thinking about walking, and it was exhausting. But by the time we reached our campsite for the first night, I had to reach down deep to summon the energy to set up my hammock. But I got it done, and soon we were sitting around a fire. And I asked the guys if they would like to tell the story of their first encounter with Bigfoot. Well, they were quiet about it, almost reluctant. But after an hour and a few swigs of brown whiskey, they started talking. As Kane and I got uh, caught up in a level two snowstorm, we were out and uh, we actually got triangulated. Um, we was taking a break up on top of a ridge and we got a knock below us um, so we decided to drop down go towards the knock uh, if anything to intersect the uh, trackway his trackway so we dropped down off this ridge into this on this flat and uh, to the right of us up on this other ridge uh, we get a knock and then where we just came from behind us we got a knock and then on the left side of us up on a ridge we get a knock so we're kind of hanging out for a minute and they started getting more intense louder um, so we started moving forward and they let up a little bit and when we stopped they would actually, they had actually moved closer towards us. Every time that we would move forward, they would come in closer to us. And then when we'd stop, they'd get even more aggressive with their knocks. Uh, to the point to where um, they were pretty much right on, on top of us. Um, so the direction that we were heading though, we were getting ready to move into a, a bunch of thickets. And I didn't, I, the last thing I wanted to do was lose line of sight. And if we got inside this stuff, we wouldn't be able to see anything. Um, so at that point, uh, really the only option we had was to really drop down in, into the bottom and then make our way back up uh, on top of this, the uh, ridge. And, uh, the whole time though that we're standing there you know discussing what we're going to do these these knocks just started getting even more aggressive and more aggressive just louder and louder and just bashing and uh so we we decided we were going to turn make a hard left and drop down well when we turned to make the hard left to drop down in front of us in the thickets we get this growl um so were they pushing us and you know and trying to 
you know, push us and steer us into this thick, into these thickets and, you know, uh, something there waiting? Or were they just trying to, to just get us out of the area? You know, we don't know. Um, but that's one of the things that always, you know, stuck in my head was, you know, what if we would have decided to just keep going straight and we would have went into the thickets, you know, what, what would have happened? Um, we're just, we're still, you know, kind of, kind of spitball back and forth with each other every now and then, you know, were they, were they hunting us? Were they, were they, was this intent to get us in these thickets? Uh, or were they just trying to navigate us out of the area? Um, but that whole, that whole day, and we actually, when we made our way actually out, we doubled back on ourselves and went back to where we went in just to make sure that there was nobody else up in there and uh our tracks were the only tracks in the snow going in and uh so i let out a uh a really loud clap and i mean i mean instantly as soon as i did the clap bam on top of this ridge like okay <laughs> uh so that one there, that 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 day there was uh, was intense at times, uh, but uh, it it gave us an idea of what they do and how they move and how they will maneuver around you, you know, and, and drive you. I got home late, later than usual, and uh, I got home and my dog just had surgery and. I felt bad for him. He's looking at me like, you know, we're gonna take a walk, Dad. We're we gonna take a walk. I felt bad. It was, it was a lot later than usual, and I thought, yeah, come on, I grab his leash and um, we'll take a walk. So we were really getting into the woods about the time when I was normally coming out of the woods, <coughs> and we hike hike a ways back in, and I just happened to look. And I just catch this, it's a side profile of this thing. Comes out, it didn't see me at first, it was facing the other direction. It came out and it was like a belly crawl, but its belly wasn't touching the ground, it was up. And it turned right towards me as it came out around this thick, turned right towards me and I didn't get a really good look at it, but it it had cartoon-sized hands. Its hands were huge for the size. It's, I estimate, and this is a total estimation, but it wasn't more than five feet tall. It's kind of gangly. But when it moved, it moved like this. It was really, it was such an odd movement to witness and then it as fast as it moved like this in one from one position it jumped kind of like this and it put its fist out like this and went down a ravine 40 yards into this bush just like that and I've walked that it's 40 yards it jumped that sounds incredible but that's the distance that it had jumped I was bewildered. I wasn't sure what I just witnessed. Um, I looked at my dog. My dog wasn't reacting. 
he didn't see it. So I started to move towards it. And when I did, is when something threw a rock into the creek, loud splash, and then all hell broke loose around me. Um, I was trapped, all sides. There was a vocal up on the ridge, the same direction that I had to get home. So in the middle of this, I called Eric, because I wasn't sure what to do. Um, just to help me get my head straight. And he kind of talked me down. And he's like, you're gonna have to walk through it. That's all, all, all you can do is you're gonna have to walk through it. So I did without much further incident, but they followed me home. And that night I paid for it. I, I think I paid some kind of retribution for seeing this thing and it was uh it was a long night at your house yeah whoa you don't want to get into that do you yeah it was okay i hear you It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The night before, sleep came in segments, 20 minutes at a time and then awake for 30 and then back to sleep. I can't remember a period of non-sleep colder than the first night, but I made it. In these mountains, it is light like day long before the sun crests the mountains to the east. But even before I could see, I was up brewing coffee on a borrowed camp stove and munching on a granola bar. The trek in the day before had consumed my thoughts, and I had not taken a minute to really see the forest. But now, in the dim morning light of the mountains, I could see the beauty of this place. Massive trees providing a canopy during the growing season keep the undergrowth in check, 
and it gave me a view of the forest I'd never seen. Even in the deadness of winter, the colors exploded with shades of gray, shadowed with greens and browns. It was beautiful. That time of dawn before the sun's rays shoot through the trees, it is the most perfect scene to anyone in these places who is lucky enough to see it. The air was clean and easy to breathe, and I forgot about the chill. The beauty of this place consumed me. I expected to hear or experience Bigfoot activity at some point during the night. These men were keen to sounds around them in the dark. They would wake me or let me know if there was activity. But the night was uneventful until an hour after daylight. We set up camp on the ledge of a canyon. Behind us, a mountain rose to our west. And to the east, across the gulch with water continually running through it, Another mountain, even larger, towered almost vertically from its base. A short distance north, and from the big mountain to the east, a large rock was thrown into the canyon below. How do I know it was thrown? If it had dislodged from the earth, we would have heard it tumble through the leaves, hitting trees and other rocks. It crashed in the river below from a free fall, and slapped the riverbed with an unnerving crack that echoed through the forest. The sun had been up an hour. None of us had a camera or any audio gear in our hands. But even so, all four of the trackers ran down the slope to get even with the noise. I had a cup of coffee in my hand and I wasn't setting it down to investigate a rock falling in the river. From their position, they saw a large black figure tear up the side of that mountain. No North American animal that I know of can move that fast up an almost vertical wall. And then it was gone. Well, finally, they made their way back into camp. Was that a Bigfoot? I asked. Not one of them would commit to an answer. We talked about it for a while while we geared up for the day. And even though they had seen it, they began to debunk their sighting with other possibilities. Well, I was astounded. They had seen what they came to see, but still remained skeptics. There could be other explanations, they said over and over. Well, they may be skeptics of their own sightings, but I know what they saw. What else could it have been? This is who these men are. Any other Bigfoot investigator I know would claim for certain they had seen a Bigfoot. And these men are probably sure they did, but they won't say they did. These men are patient and persistent. They need more proof to verify a sighting. And that is what we would do the rest of the day. Starting with the rock being thrown. Yeah. This morning, we were stirring around and Eric seeing something moving up towards the top. And then all this stuff that we have found along the way.
near as beautiful as the triple axle player did. Yeah. Uh, up from now, sprung up. Yeah. <laughs> I had to stop like that. <laughs> that train was about to ruin me. Switch backing, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I just kept going, you know, switch back and back and forth instead of now straight up would have killed us. That would be but the last portion that were straight. Yeah, up. <laughs> the last portion of it was. We had to find a crevice yeah, between yeah. the two and just climb through yeah. that to get up on top. Yeah. That was cool though. Four inches wide for a black bear. Right. This thing, this path was three foot wide, and it was breaking laurel. You know, this this thick yeah. branches this thick. I mean, it just shredded this whole corridor. So whatever it was, was big and it was on the move. It didn't care <laughs> what yeah. it was going through. Um, so, but then that, that let us, dropped us right down, right down, right where we ended yesterday. So that last noise we heard yesterday, yeah. was it ice fall or was it something tearing ass through there? Right, because that's one thing we couldn't do. Was Did it look fresh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, everything there was fresh. Wow. Now back at camp and thoroughly exhausted, I took a break and laid in my hammock. There was plenty of daylight left, and I prayed they were done for the day. I couldn't take another step. I got lucky, and we hung around camp until the next day. So that afternoon and evening, and again after a few swigs of brown whiskey, I began asking questions. I can't help myself. I need to know what makes them do this, what makes them tick. The conversations went from why they do this to how they do this and where they want to go with it, and mixed in were many stories from their adventures. The next several minutes of this film are their stories in their words. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For me, it was my, I don't know if you'd necessarily call it a, it was a brief sighting years ago, but it was, it was after that, you know, I, I locked it away. Uh, and then years later, you know, I opened up to Kane about it and, uh, and he believed you know, that there was the possibility of, of something being out here. And that's what sparked us to 
to really start getting into coming out and, and doing the research, we we started just hitting ridges, just driving around and hitting hitting a ridge and jumping out of the truck, and checking the compass, and just going. And we did that for a really long time. But along the way, we started learning. We started learning, actually started learning their habits and how they travel, and uh, really narrowed down a, a, a research area uh, that was producing, started to produce, and that was really my my sighting, what I really call my sighting, uh, broad daylight, you know, um, and, you know, there he was. It, uh, it was very, uh, it was tough. Um, you know, when you, when you first see something like that, um, as we were kind of talking last night, you know, your, your brain goes through this meltdown process because you've never laid your eyes on something like this before. So your brain goes through this meltdown process. It was every, every emotion that you could think of is what was going through my body after it had disappeared. I literally, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with, with myself. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to just laugh I want. I could have. I could have dropped to the ground and just bawled my eyes out. But it was everything that was coming back. It was. It was the first sighting years ago, and then it was everything that Kane and I do, research-wise, and then it was seeing it, and it was so. It was so. It was. It was validation for me. I went through a shutdown period, um, and Kane can contest to it that for a long time I wasn't myself. I withdrew, uh, I kind of went through a, a depression. Still to this day, I'm an avid hunter, and still to this day, I will still go out hunting, and I'll still get to my hunting spot an hour before daybreak, but I won't get out of my truck until I can see Silhouette. I won't do it. Where before, I would be in the woods an hour before daybreak in, in my tree stand. Now I won't even get out of my truck until I can see silhouette. Bushwhacking in now like we do, uh, getting so far in, you know, this, this doesn't bother me, but at nights when I get in my hammock, I really don't sleep at night. I mean, nobody really sleeps. You know, you'll do 20 minutes, 30 minutes here and there. I'm, I'm more 10 minutes. I just, I have that. I've seen it and I know the size of it. It didn't show aggression to me at all. It had the oh crap look like he screwed up. Uh, it, it showed, I wasn't feared, I wasn't, you know, it was just seeing it and seeing the size of it and knowing, knowing, just seeing the size of it, knowing what this creature could do to you if it got a hold of you. I can remember whenever we went on the outing, Kane, Eric and I went out in Alabama and we hit a trackway and we were getting wood knocks around us and we kept tracking Kane even actually had something jump up out of a brush pile and run away we didn't see what it was but it's all the little things that led us to that point and then we topped a ridge and it was just unbelievable the the structures and all the different 
bows that were going to the structures. It's just, that's part of the tracking process is using those type things, not as an end all, but as a beginning to the end of the story, really. That's something that most people don't do. They don't see. They would rather go, I mean, you can go to a, a wood lot in the middle of a town and see 500 bows in there. Did a Bigfoot do it? No. Most of the time they're natural. It takes different things you gotta look at to know if it's even a possibility that it's been manipulated. Like they've said, we've not seen them do it, so we can't say that absolutely this was done by a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. Down in Georgia, that was just, that was a wild experience because they were coming in from all sides of us and just screaming and hollering. We had parabolics going and listening to them and we could, we could hear them moving all around us. It's just, it's the adrenaline rush that I get when that starts. Um, I, used, I used to skydive and the adrenaline rush, when that door opens up and you go to roll out of that plane, it's the same adrenaline rush that I get when we feel like these creatures are closing in on us. And the way that Kane and I research, uh, not just Kane and I, but me and him and, and Larry and Mark and how we bushwhack in, as far as we bushwhack in, you have to go to that place in your head. You have to have that mindset that if something breaks down, if something goes wrong, if, if all hell breaks loose, you're not leaving. Bottom line, plain and simple, you're not coming out of those woods. And you have to have that in your head. You have to have that mindset, because it can happen. And the way that we bushwhack in, the way that we can identify their trackways and get on them and the stuff that we've had happen to us, they can very easily come at you so easily come at you but it's it's a passion it's a drive and now we're to the point to where why do they if they do the breaks and the twists and the bends if that's what's doing these things we want to learn and we want to know we want to see it we want to document them doing this that's the only way it's gonna we can you can for a fact this is how it happens this is what they do and that's getting in front of them and documenting it it's the only way it can be done you can't drive down that gravel road that we walked down off of and find something that looks like a structure. Look at it, take a picture of it, and verify it's a Bigfoot. You have to do what you do. Because mm -hmm. yeah. there's something... He had to get there from somewhere, right? right. And that's exactly. your that's your that's that's the motive. That's the motive. I mean, when you walk up to something and, and you look at it and you rule out everything, that's the first thing. You have to go in as a skeptic. You have to and you walk up to something and you see it and you rule everything out to the possibility that it was manipulated by something but then it had to get to this point and there is another point that it went to so how do you get from a to b that's the trackway that's what you need to find finding that bend or that twist or that break that's not a trackway you know that's that's a bend or a twist or a break but what how do they get from point a to point b that's what you need to find 
that's how you find and establish a trackway. And then you establish travel pattern. Which way are they heading? To you or away from you? You know, that those are the things that drive drive me, myself, in, in learning what they do. And a lot of people will see that one twist, take a picture of it, and that's enough for them. But it's just not enough no. for you guys, is it? No, no. Kane uh, Kane has a very hard drive in him of really I mean he just he he really drives man it 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 fuels him when he comes up to something like that I mean he just he has to know why why we got to get over there you know we have to go there next we have to keep following this we have to keep going yeah it's it's, it's it is it's a full-blown passion you know uh, and I am a firm believer that you can get in front of these things. I've known it. We've, we've done it. We brought people in and showed them we can do it. You get in front of them, you set up, and you document them coming into the area, and you watch them. And that's 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 where I want to go with what I do. That's that's what I want to do. I, I know I can do that. So that's that's my drive in it. Well, we blend together good because. We don't mind getting out here in the wilderness and putting ourselves at risk. I try to keep up with them and I do okay, but it's just, I've told them before, it's like you're putting a big jigsaw puzzle together and every piece of evidence you find fits somewhere and eventually it's gonna come to a big picture. And what we're doing is the way to do it. Every living thing leaves a trace. Everything leaves a track. It doesn't matter whether it's a raccoon, a deer, a bear, a human, or a Sasquatch. They cannot move through this area without leaving some kind of trace and they don't leave a lot they have a very small footprint that they leave on the area but real tracking really starts when the when you lose the footprints anybody can walk and follow footprints and say yep they went that way Real tracking is when the footprints are gone. It still leaves a trace. And that's what I have a passion for, is following and finding that trace. And that's when that happens, you have to slow down. You have to get in the moment. You have to really start looking. And that might just be a twig that's broken. You just have to see, you have tunnel vision. You have to see them, you know, there might be a piece of moss that's just barely slid. And you step by step, you track this. And my theory is, if I followed you for a month, I would know a lot about you. If I retraced your steps everywhere you went, where you went and got coffee in the mornings, where you work, it's the same application out here and it allows you to know the areas they like the areas they gravitate towards 
why did they choose this way? And, and to think of the big picture, you have to almost always be looking at the area itself. Why, why did it go this way? And I think a lot of people, they'll find a print, they'll take a picture, and that's good enough. You know, that's awesome. To me, that is just the beginning. That, that is, you have found the epitome of what you're looking for. Now let's track it. Let's see where it went. Let's, let's learn about it. Let's learn about it on, on its terms. You know, why did it choose to go this way rather than this way? Why did it choose to go up such a steep incline? And it's an endless pursuit that never stops. You can never truly catch them. But if you learn the travel routes, you can get in front of them and let them come to you. And that, that's what we try to do. And this isn't following tracks in mud. It's not following tracks in snow. This is following track indentions in the leaves that have a long stride length. You're not absolutely sure what you're tracking, but as you track and you see the breaks, the small structures, different things, you can have a better idea that that is their path and that's what you want to follow. And it, it yields more experiences than what I ever dreamed it would. It's easy to just go hiking through the woods and not have a purpose. And you may run into one after a thousand times and you may not. There's been many hardcore researchers that never even had a sighting. And some of the experience we've had may not have been a full-blown sighting, but there's not many options to what it could have been. What motivates me is I want to have a daylight sighting of this critter and so I'm doing everything that I can to increase my odds I use audio we use plot watchers we study topographical maps and we go into the area and we don't just stop if we see a tree break or some or a bow or whatever kind of evidence and I believe that's probably where 90% of the people stop. They're not willing to do what a tractor tracker does and start circling until they find the next piece of evidence and then lining it up and go from there. And once you start establishing a trackway, then you need to start time stamping it so you know whenever this critter will come back through this area i mean it's not easy coming out here and climbing these mountains you got the curiosity and you want the knowledge and want to know the truth behind it it just pushes you up that mountain most people want to go to a campground and sit around a campfire and just talk about Bigfoot. But I wanted to get out in the woods and camp out, make myself basically vulnerable. When we're looking for a spot to set up a primitive campground, we are looking to make ourselves vulnerable to make it easier for 
the Bigfoot to be able to come in here and and basically watch us and to come in. We've had a lot of success doing that. We, we had their travel pattern, we had their trackway and their travel pattern, but then it took us a year to be able to get in front of them and the time it, it, it took them, it didn't take them a year to get around to where we were gonna be, but it took us a year to figure out they're gonna be here at this, at this particular time. And once we, once we established that, uh, we decided at that point, now it's time to invite somebody out and, and show them that we can do this, that, that, that it is possible, you, you can establish their trackways, their travel patterns, you can get in front of them, uh, and you can get interaction. So at that point, that's when Kane, you know, really sat me down and me being more closed, you know, uh, Kane talked to me and said, you know, we, we need to do this. We need to bring somebody in and show them that we can, we can do this. And it wasn't going to be somebody random. It was going to be people that we really trusted and, and respected. We decided on Mark and Larry and Cheryl bushwhack in like we do uh, to hammock camp and get in front of them. And that whole weekend produced uh, interaction throughout the whole course of the time. Well, as we were hiking in, um, almost immediately, we started getting some reaction, started hearing things, and immediately, um, throughout the course of the day, the first day out while we were setting up our camp, we were hearing trees being pushed over, trees being snapped, and this was like every hour, probably more like every 45 minutes, this was going on around us. We didn't do any calls, we didn't do, we were just sitting here like we are, and that was our game plan, was just, just act like, not even to pay attention, and not react, and just see what happens, you know not clue them in we knew we were in their backyard we we knew that this was an area that they frequented a lot so we knew that they, they wouldn't like us in there and we set up our camp we started uh you know we started our fire at one time we even just all went and acted like we were going to sleep just to see if we could bring him in a little bit earlier but that didn't happen it didn't happen until we actually all really started falling asleep and you want to talk that's that's when they really came in on us yeah. is when we really when it really died down the fire died down we were all in our hammocks uh is is when they when they moved in on us and we were triangulated with them um the point of of where we were though that was another thing that that kane and i wanted to do was to get to a location back in there where we knew that they were coming through but we knew that they they basically had the upper hand um they held both ridges um they had all 
exit points, uh, we put ourselves in that vulnerable spot. The only thing that we had exit route wise was a cliff behind us. Uh, so we wanted to put ourselves in the most vulnerable spot and position that we could for them to come in on us. Uh, and they did. Um, we have um, some of the best vocalization um, that Kane and I have ever uh, heard uh, come from one of those nights. Um, but along with that, we had, you know, your, your knocks and, you know, uh, stuff being torn down uh, throughout the whole course of the weekend. Um, but it was the vocals that we were getting that were really, really good um, throughout the whole course of the weekend. Uh, and then Kane really, really uh, pushing them. Uh, he went out, we were kind of all just kind of hanging out, man, in our hammocks and Kane got up and went off, you know, doing what he does and uh, was actually able to stir one up and uh, this thing kind of come, come loose on him and took about a, a four to six inch circumference, you know, uh, tree and just just brought it over um, and, and kind of showed his butt a little bit and tore off through the thickets. Um, so it was, it was it was stuff like that. It was it was putting ourselves mainly putting ourselves in the most vulnerable position and place that we possibly could because we knew that that would they would it, that would draw them in to us, uh, and it and they did. They they definitely came in on us. And that time on the ridge was when I was could hear it breathing. It was upset, and you could hear it exhale. You know, so I belly crawled down this ravine, and I could hear him up on the other ravine, and he's he's huffing and at me, and I know that I I know his area, but I know that he can see me. So there was a cave. I got into this cave, and jumped down into a blind spot for it and belly crawled around this huge rock tried to get a visual on him as I was belly crawling around this rock is when I what I didn't realize that there was another one just to my right and that was the one that grabbed that tree and basically pulled it down over top of where I was at so when I looked up I hear this crashing here's this tree comes down at me and it was right over on the other side of the rock so obviously I forget about what's happening over here on the ridge go around and there's a there's a, a bowed tree that was you know a half hour before was a, a tree and it, it, it physically brought it down almost on top of me and uh, it was an awesome awesome experience to be right under it basically and still not see it that's that's the crazy part i, I went around the rock uh, when something like that happens to you you're disoriented for you know maybe 10 seconds you're trying to figure out what just happened but by the time i got around it was gone you know but everybody at camp heard it um 
I was basically underneath of it. Another thing we did capture too was not just vocals, but it sounded like a language. It sounded it, yeah. it sounded like what a, a giant voice, this huge deep voice talking. Yeah. And we have it. We have it on audio. It's just it's and when you hear that, and you're out in the woods, and we 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 know that you don't have to to go so far remote as we do the reason we do that is to rule out the human factor you know you get out like this we've been out here there's no sign of any human activity there's no trash there's no old campsites so when you do hear stuff like that it's really hard to say oh that was another group of bigfooters over on the other ridge. there ain't nothing out here and that's why we do that and that's the same thing as where we were at our location uh, part of the reason why we picked who we picked to go out with us is just we had to pick some people that we knew could do it because it's not easy uh, going in so far like this uh, you have to ha have some seasoned guys to at least get out here bring all your gear uh, your food your camping supplies and hike in like we do it takes some physical people to do it and so we selected that group and we knew that that group when they experienced that with us they would have no question that that's another hiker out there because they just experienced the hike in they knew how far we were and uh, it was an awesome event yeah it really was it really was when we were up in Ohio, I mean, sure, you're going to hear trees break in the forest, but are you going to hear them breaking every hour? Or are you going to be able to hear some type of communication that they were doing? It was talking. Uh, we captured it on audio recorders and looked at it on the spectrogram, and it is not human. Um, science has not validated Bigfoot. I have a library of animal vocalizations that I can check these vocalizations against and see the frequency and, and the signature of the vocalizations. And there's no other animal that science recognizes that makes this type of vocalization. So, what is it? I'm going to assume that you now know what these men mean by trackway. It really is simple. They find evidence in one place, and from there they begin to search a specific diameter around the original evidence to find more evidence. And more times than not, they'll find it. 
From there, they connect the lines on their maps and begin the process over again to find another waypoint. They really do it, and it takes a lot of time and effort, but they believe that this is the way to pattern the creatures, much like a hunter will pattern his prey. It remains to be seen who is the actual prey in this tracking game, but so far, they've had remarkable results. Imagine you know where a Bigfoot or more than one will be on a certain week, even a day. You know you're going to see him there. It's so simple, I even understand it. Yes, Bigfoot's travel patterns appear to change, and some are thought to even migrate. But this methodical method of establishing their travel routes is much more productive than driving around and whooping and banging on trees in random areas. Now that they have established this process, I ask them what they plan to do with their knowledge and skill. Well, the next clip will explain it all. And then they began to tell the nerve-wracking stories from past expeditions. So if you like strange stories, you will enjoy this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We were called once in the upper Anirondack mountain region. This couple called us and thought that they had activity on their property. So we went up there and she had told us that there was like a big name out there that reviewed her, you know, went out and investigated her property and they never left her driveway. That's not what we do. We went out, I think seven mile radius of her cabin with her found let her just tell us what she could find you know what she saw and then without her saying anything we started tracking and we were able to bring back to her some validation of what they were experiencing i didn't want her to lead me or to eric we just we just wanted to see what she had and then we wanted to take it from there and that's what we started investigating. But we were able to come back and say, here, you know, five miles up this mountain, we found prints. Um, we found stuff that we believe to be associated with Sasquatch. And that kind of validation to be able to give to them. We're very confident that we can track these things. And, but we don't stop there. We, we're saying challenges. Give, give us a chance anywhere in this country or out of this country. We can track these things. Call us. We'll, we will come. We'll do exactly what we do. And we feel confident that we could put anybody on a trackway and show them prints, show them things with our methods. 
So one of the things uh, with, with knowing what we can do and we've proven to others what we can do, um, one of the things that I would really like is for us to get involved with some of the missing persons reports um, from uh, some of the 411s um, to be able to go out in those areas where certain people have come up missing with no explanation um, and, and research that area because I know for a fact, 100%, if there's activity in that area, we're gonna find it and we're gonna get on that trackway and we're gonna identify it. Uh, and, and maybe somewhere in that, you know, uh, I don't know if it would bring validation, you know, to, to somebody, you know, that, that has a loved one that's come up missing, uh, but at least put it out there that, hey, look, you know, this is real and, and we can do this, we've done it, and here we are in the exact same location that this individual's come up missing, and this is what we found. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that I would really like to see uh, us do, um, just because I know we're the only ones doing it. We, so, I got there a day before y'all did, and actually we had called some and got some responses, and Eric sent me a map, a topo map with marks on it, and said, did they come from any of these? And I'm like, yeah, that one to the east or whatever. <laughs> so the next day they got there, and by the time I got through eating and playing around camp, we went hiking, and after Kane almost stepped on a rattlesnake as big as my thigh, that was where you topped the ridge and something busted out of the brush. And from there, we started on a trackway of finding little stuff, and we topped the hill, and there was just an yeah. unbelievable amount of sign. Yeah, everywhere. It's like we were in their living room yeah. or their playground. Yeah big x structures and, and while we were looking at it we were getting tree knocks yes yeah yeah and we kept tracking from there up to a point where it was probably going to cross the road and that's the point we gave up yeah yeah and then we went to when the shit got real it got real yeah mm -hmm. and then kane and i and cheryl in georgia Kane followed a trackway up a ravine and Cheryl was ahead of us and had a possible sighting ahead of us and I mean the tracking has led to so much gold. And then we had the thermal hit down in Alabama. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which that was from running around Colin, but yeah. still. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Big rocks being thrown in water. And then uh, I think I had the thermal. Kane's right beside me with the parabolic. And he's going, I hear it. I hear it. I put my hand on his shoulder and I'm like, I see it. <laughs> I see I see this thing turn. It literally turns its back to me and starts walking, you know, walking away. I'm like, oh my God, he's right there. You know? <laughs> and Eric didn't know how to run the fire. Yeah, and I didn't know how to. He took I, a, two pictures. Two pictures. Two pictures of a thermal. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to hit the video and I'm, I'm sitting there going. Chk, chk, chk. <laughs> uh, it was terrible. Yeah. Good times. Good times. What else was it? Well, you you guys had some big experiences up in uh, in Ohio, stuff that really uh, blew you away, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, that was. These guys did their homework on that. I mean, we packed in and got within 300 yards, probably, of where we were going to camp. And we were sitting there resting for we ascended the little hill we were going up to camp on and a tree come crashing down. And we all looked at each other, wasn't no wind blowing or anything, and we're like, you think? And we're like, ah, maybe not, maybe it just fell. And then we got up to the top and threw our stuff off and we're making our camp. And another one cracked and went down. See, and one thing, one thing you gotta listen to uh, trees fall every single day, but there's a difference between a tree falling and then a controlled fall Where you don't hear it hitting everything else coming down you hear the break 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 snap But then you don't hear the crash, right? You know, but you know, it's it's coming down and that's a controlled break You know and those are those were the breaks that were happening around us um, with with a, a few knots you know, maximum terror. That's why I held with with us knowing <laughs> that area. That's why when we first really got in, the first 25 minutes, we got the first knock or whatever it was. That's why I held back. You know, because that's what Kane and I do. If we're trekking in somewhere and we get a sound, one of us will will head towards that sound. The other one will fall back. You know, at least 75, 80 yards behind. You know, and ho in hopes that it will turn its attention on the guy in front, lose line of sight of the guy behind, and then we'll, you know, we're lined up together like this, and then we'll do a, a loop, you know, why, why this person in front, why Kane or I are in front, tracking, tracking up, the other one's flanking around in hopes that whatever's up here is coming towards him. Yeah. And then get up behind. Or at least focused and on At least him. focused on right. You know, we had, we had, we had one there, uh, lose line of sight of us and it was hilarious he got pissed he had he knew where we were but he couldn't see us anymore because we just hunkered down I mean we just dropped and we just waited and waited and waited and you could hear the son of a gun up on this ridge back and forth back and forth just huffing ooh, ooh, you know and, and breaking little stuff and he was getting ticked because he couldn't see us right. he knew we were there but he couldn't see us trying to intimidate and he was to trying move. to trying to get us to move and it was it was funny actually yeah. <laughs> you know, that, we were, that we were taking him off you know uh that was that was a pretty cool day yeah that was that was neat a lot of times they're tracking you by 
hearing alone. So they don't necessarily have to see you, but they're here, you, they hear you. So that's the thought pattern. Yeah, is, we do make a lot more noise yeah, than the average wildlife. Yeah, so we're <laughs> trudging through the woods. That's why when we hear something, one of us will continue just trudging through the woods, making noise, and the other one falls back, you know, hoping that he's tracking us by sound. So he thinks, okay, you know, they're, they're moving again. Right. When now we're sneaking, <laughs> we're sneaking to find him and trying to, trying to get him, you know, in our, in our crosshairs per se. Uh, and we do those kind of tactics all the time. Um, sometimes we'll just go one guy, hundred yards, stop. And we, we, do, we have our own calls. You know, we'll do little bird whistles for ourselves. You know, the next guy will cruise over a hundred yards and we just kind of do this through the woods and, and try to out-strategize the masters of strategy. In Ohio, whenever we went up and went to Kane and Eric's area, that night we had all kinds of activity. We sat there with no fire, had whoops, vocalizations, other trees being pushed down. And by the time we finally fire, uh, lit a fire, cooked supper, ate, decided to tr try to trick them and act like we were going to our hammocks and acting like we were asleep, I did go to sleep very well. And I think Eric may have. Yeah. Kane did for a little while, but Mark and Cheryl stayed up. By the time Kane woke back up, Cheryl and Mark were about to go to bed. And as soon as Cheryl got zipped up in his little coffin tent, there was a whack on the tree, according to them, because I was asleep, by the way. But he went on and went to sleep, Cheryl did, and I was laying there and the fire died down to where it's just low light. And I felt something poke me in the leg. And I kind of wake up, don't hear anything, and something pokes me again. And I look and all I see is a head and shoulders standing there right at my feet of my hammock. And I just freeze. And I'm looking at it and it ain't moving. And I've got a pistol on my side, a flare over here and a light on my stomach. And I could have easily pulled that pistol up and just shot. And about the time I was thinking, what the crap, is this a juvenile just sitting here messing with me or what? Kane goes, Larry, are you awake? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. I said, yeah. He said, well, there's a lot of stuff about to happen and I thought you should know. And I'm like, all right, I'll stay awake. He said, I'm going to go tell Eric. And he crawls down to Eric and does the same thing to him. Uh, but later on, Cheryl, he starts getting his tent messed with, and I'm awake. He don't know if something stepped on his guy line to his tent or if it was actually pushing on it. But he got on his light and yelled, and... All I could do was sit there and giggle. <laughs> but anyway, the next morning at breakfast, I told Kane, I said, man, you are so close to getting kicked in the face. And I'd have felt bad about kicking you in the face. 
but I had no idea what was standing there in that light except that shadow. And I was like, man. Our days in the mountains were coming to an end. And with everything I'd heard during our time here, I began to wonder about the other people who look for Bigfoot. How do they spend their time and their money? And what were they hoping to achieve? And with these questions in mind, I asked the guys if they had advice for a younger generation of people wanting to get into the Bigfoot chase. It's become so much more than just a quest to see something that is or is not real. Will it ever be proven? I don't know. But I think I've put myself in the company of people that if it is so, it will be proven. Because we all bring aspects to the table that work well with each other. I know if we get in a situation that most men would run from, these men are going to stand by me. It may be our last stand but it's going to be a stand <laughs> but we love to get out like this away from everybody and do it as primitively as we can from bushcrafting to hammock camping anything to get out here in nature to where you have the possibility to have an encounter and we've learned tricks and tactics from each other that put us in better situations to have those encounters I think you have to be careful when it comes to who you associate with. There's so many egos out there and so many alpha males and they want to be experts, but I'm going to tell you, there's no experts in the Bigfoot community. There's a unless we have them in the zoo or they have a body there's there's not any experts that's why we get out here and we do what we do we will know after we leave here this weekend what our next move and where we're going to next to try to piece this together but i think you just have to be careful with who you listen to and what they say because people will lead you down the wrong path. My research and what I call research, um, I know that I can get the evidence that I need uh, to prove the existence without dragging a body out. And I base a lot of what I do off of uh, Jane Goodall uh, and her her methods and how she goes about uh, doing things and that goes into learning their travel patterns and their trackways and if you can identify those things to where you can get in front of them and set up in front of them a day two days before they come through um, to where you can record them you can watch them you know and uh, in, in their movements and how they move and what they do um, you can prove their existence by doing that. You you don't you don't need to, you know, drag a body out of the woods and 
we don't post anything that if, if we have to explain it that's not worth posting it's not if you're looking for one of the biggest discoveries in our time you're not going to do it with blurry picture you're not going to do it with a blurry video it's got to be incredible evidence or the way we do it is documenting years of research and documenting it and laying out what we find that way the person the viewer whoever um, they can make the decision but we're not trying to do this like for Facebook uh, we, we want to have our evidence enough, good enough that we could go to a college and say hey here's 10 years worth of research Here's what we found. You know, what do you think? Does this hold water? Um, so that's that's where I think an honesty with yourself and and knowing that you're not going to have a sighting every time you go in the woods. Uh, you're you will have act if you stay an, out here enough and you do this enough, you will have activity sooner or later. If you know, go to the same area week after week after week after week if you never find anything hear anything go to a different area so it wasn't until we were really really into the research and, and doing what we do then we really started that's when we started branching out and but then by that time we knew who to listen to and who not to yeah. you know we did sit back and watch and it, people comments and things and okay this guy's a clown or this yeah. you know no you know and but we were able then to pick who we discuss things with. But in searching for groups, it's 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 a hard thing to do. Um, there's so much hatred between groups, and even groups that believe 95 percent of the same thing they they hate each other just because it's a different group and i really it's it's hard to find a group and it's harder to find a research partner and i've always looked at it as if it's not someone that i'd go fishing with it's certainly someone that i would not want to go camping with so if i was to give any advice to anybody um that would be the the, the advice that i would give them is is to learn how to identify the trackways first before before anything else. One is you have to have a passion to be out in wildlife, um, first and foremost, because you're gonna have a lot of days where, weeks, where you're not gonna have anything. Sometimes a year can go by. So you have to love being in nature um, because if you don't, it's gonna, if you're just looking for a sighting or you're just looking, you know, that's not gonna be enough to carry you through year after year. You have to have a passion just to be out like this um, and, and be in the wilderness. I think that's something that's important. Understand the area that you're going to know it first, you know, before anything else. Uh, know the the vegetation in the area know the wildlife in the area know the terrain 
uh, water sources. Um, get as much information as you can about an area before you go into it. Um, especially if you bushwhack like, like I do. A huge part of what we do is scouting. We scout, we scout, we scout. 100 miles you know, over the course of a summer, picking out areas that um, might be active. And then we come back around and then we research those areas. Just like what we're doing this weekend, we're not, not really out here to have a, a sighting. We're out here to establish some travel patterns, something that we can use the next time we come out. Uh, narrowing down all these thousands of acres around us, narrowing it down into corridors of activity that we can go back to, to greaten our chances um, when we do go back each time and just build and build and build upon that. I met Larry and Mark in the summer of 2016 at my first campout with a Bigfoot group. I pulled into the site not knowing a soul, and I was welcomed by the Bigfoot Outlaw group like they had known me all my life. I have never been treated so warmly, even in church. Larry and Mark hung around the group for a while, and then I didn't see them for the rest of the night. Later, I asked someone if they had left. No, they said, those guys are off in the woods hammock camping. Well, I was stunned. The campground was full of tents and RVs, all Bigfoot people. But Mark and Larry were off in the woods somewhere in the pitch of night. The next morning, I went for a walk alone when there was just enough light to see. The gate to the area was one mile away and I headed for it. By the time I turned around at the gate and headed back, there was enough light to see into the woods. And 100 feet below me, at the bottom of a ravine, I could just make out two hammocks strung up between trees. This is where Larry and Mark spent the night. Later, I saw them back at camp and asked them why they camped way off like that. They told me they had a better chance at an experience with a Bigfoot off in the woods. They knew the creature wouldn't come to the campground, and this is what they have done since I've known them. The days we spent in the Appalachian Mountains was no different. Those guys are always pushing the fringes wherever they go. Eric and Kane, the two men from Ohio, was the first time I had met them on this trip, and they were exactly the same as Larry and Mark. It's like they intentionally make things as difficult as possible. But after three days with them in the mountains, I thought I was beginning to understand their passion for this. But then, as we were packing up to hike out, Kane grabbed me and told me that he knew I was trying to make sense of all this. Turn on that camera and I'll explain it, he said. So, you know, a lot of people plan vacations. Um, a big part of what we do is we plan adventures. You have to plan for this. You have to have the right gear 
we had freezing temperatures last night. I mean, there's an element that you could die. You really could die out here if you don't pack the right gear, something happens. And I think that's part of the adventure aspect that draws all of us in is that we love an adventure. You know, we love bushcraft. We love survival. We love hiking. And all that's wrapped into this with that element of danger that, you know, we will leave here this weekend with a story, you know, just of what we went through. And you don't get that just from a vacation. You know, we have a story that, you know, we survived sub temperatures last night. You know, we froze, but we made it. You know, we're, we're stronger for it in a lot of regards. And we learn every time we come out, like, oh, this gear sucked. Or, and building on that, it's, it's, it's an adventure. It's a way of life for a lot of us uh, seeking that. You know, it's always on to the next. Every time we see a hill or a mountain, we want to know what's up on top of that mountain. And then when we get to the top of that mountain, we want to see what's on the other mountain. And that's what drives us to do this. So there it was. I'd been trying to psychoanalyze these men for three days. I said in the opening of this film that these guys were nuts. And they are. Total maniacs, really. But in the end, they are being men doing dangerous things because they like it. And that's what men do. Sadly, we're losing this type of man in our nation. The Bigfoot group I spent a few days with freezing to death might be one of the last generations of men who do dangerous things because it's fun. They do it for the hell of it, but they have a purpose. And now it was all clear to me. We hiked out and drove to a burger joint in a little town and we ate like kings and we talked about everything we had seen and done. We were men doing things men do, and it was perfect. 